Yeah, well, you know what a favorite uh, pirate's favorite letter is? A. Well, you, most people say R. R. Oh, it's R, right. Oh, you well, might think so. Canadian, Canadian pirates' favorite say a. letter yeah. is A. Uh, but y- you might think so, matey, but truly, me favorite letter is the C. Really? Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, you see oh, what I did there? That's a dad joke. That was good. That was a dad joke. That yeah. Was a good one. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else close the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, aspirationally, boys and girls. Uh, welcome to the Personal Wealth Coach. This is Jake McClure. On the line with me, I have... Jeff McClure. Uh, together, we are bald. Oh, together, we are the Personal Wealth Coach and, and mm-hmm. bald. I'm glad you got that straight. Yes, we have to establish this is full disclosure. You guys need to have uh, total knowledge of the fact that there are two bald men with beards talking to you at the moment. Uh, this is another question from John with multiple good, pictures a, from the Wall Street Journal in it. And a good question. Yes. The question is about the digital currency of the United States dollar and the perspective changes being discussed by the Federal Reserve not just discussed, but planned by the Federal Reserve. It starts with, I'm kind of give the background on this before we get into what the article in question is. It starts with the concept of when you move money from one bank to another, having it occur same day or even instantaneously. You, you know, most people would say, well, of course, isn't that what you would expect to happen? Well, it is, but if you've ever had uh, like a closing check from a house sale or a, a big check from an insurance settlement or a very large deposit of a bonus check, when you deposit money from a check or when you're transferring money from one bank to another, which from their perspective is a lot like a check, they sit on that money for a while and they say, yeah, we've got a number that says that you're allowed to touch it or not. And in the old days, you could call the banker and say, hey, Joe, what you doing sitting on my money? And he'd say, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize it was you. Like he didn't know it was you with your name on it and all of that. This was part of the game. And if you were a business person, you just call the bank and say, hey, you know, I'm good for it. And they'd say, Oh, for you, sir, we'll just do this thing. Or, no, sir, we can't do it. It's the bank policy. And so if you've been in business or you've been around much, you know it takes a while for banks to move money. Why? Well, because when they move the money, they want to make sure it was at the place it came from before they say it's really there at their place. Or they can get burned really bad. And there's a a scam that's been going on for years and years, and I'll give you a good example of this. Where a person says, hey, I ordered your product and I really liked it, but and there's an email or a note and it says, but I only had this post office bond to pay with. It's the only thing I have and it's $500 and your price is only 283 If you just send me $20 as, as change in the product, you can keep the rest. I just, I just need to get rid of this thing. It's the only money I have. So you get the bond and you say, oh, this is a great deal. Only most people that have gotten this already know this is a scam. Well, it didn't actually arrive because in some way it's fraudulent. Well, that's what the banks are trying to prevent here. So the Federal Reserve 
has been reading the Bitcoin white paper and saying, hey, if all the Federal Reserve banks are allowed to look in a transfer type setup at whether or not the money's already on the book for real at the other bank, this will speed things up. So that's the first component, instantaneous money transfers. That is huge for business. And I can't, I can't say that any, with, with any more emphasis. It is huge for business. It means that the flow of currency isn't stopped every day or every three weeks or every six weeks. When a big payment comes in for a contract, the money's available when it comes in. That's huge. In order for that to happen, we have to digitally mark each bank's currency. It's already digital. So when people say, hey, becoming a digital currency, oh, come on, it's already digital. At every bank, they have on their computer digitally what they have on the books. So you can't say it's a new digital currency. It's just got a digital signature. It's like the serial number on the dollar. It's like that that says, hey, this moved from here to here to here to here. So they can track it easily from all sources along all range. So you can see there's some privacy issues there, but if it's only the banks looking at it, what could the banks do with a bunch of private... Oh, well, yeah, you see what I mean. So there are some privacy concerns, and the Federal Reserve is applying some privacy standards to it that are also similar to Bitcoin. And that the only way you can see who had that money, private, private money, previous to you down that long chain, even if you're the bank that's receiving the money, is if you get a warrant. You just know that it was there, not where it came from. Now, the Federal Reserve can get to that information with a warrant. So this is, these are some privacy controls and stuff and so on. Okay, so now that we've got the background, the foundation of what this is about, The Wall Street Journal comes out with an article, and the article is interesting. The headline is, Digital Currencies Pave the Way for Deeply Negative Interest Rates. And so there's the question is, and if interest rates can go far below zero, monetary policy is suddenly much more powerful and better suited to tackle deflation. My answer to that, after that amazing, long-winded and oratory performance is to say we can already do negative interest rates if we wanted to. There's nothing preventing us from doing negative interest rates except us saying we don't want to do negative interest rates. I know, I just had this long-winded thing to talk about digital currencies and answer the digital currency question, but it isn't a digital currency question. And the guy who wrote this is correct that negative interest rates are great for tackling deflation. However, (laughs) it doesn't require a digital currency. It it doesn't even make it that much easier to do a negative interest rate if you have a a digital currency. And that's, I could have just led with that and say, never mind, this is a wrong supposition. And go ahead. The subtitle is important. If people can't hoard physical money, it becomes much easier to cut rates far below zero. Yeah, yeah, that is is a key there. It's a big one. the The problem with the negative interest rate is people tend to, when, when you get into deflation, people to send to sit on their money. They tend to say, I'm just going to hang on to my money. If, you, if you're in deflation and you have a uh, uh, coffee can, although we don't have coffee cans anymore. Shoeboxes. Shoeboxes. Okay, you, you, you still have shoeboxes. Coffee cans more are like box. bags of foil. You have an days. Amazon box full of money. Okay. Uh, paper, paper money. 
and you have deflation, that paper money becomes more valuable every day. Yep. If we have inflation, a little bit of inflation, it becomes less valuable every day. In other words, right now, the long-term projection and the long-term target of the Federal Reserve is a, a little over 2%. So let's call it a 2.25% inflation rate. That means the Federal Reserve is engineering a 2% or 2.25% charge on hoarding money. If you have money sitting at zero interest rate wherever, whether it's in the bank or in a shoebox or in an Amazon box or dug in a tin can in your backyard, wherever you've got it, it's losing value at 2.5% a year. So people, when, when they're in that position, they have a tendency to spend their money because it's worth more now than it will be in the future. When we get into deflation, they have a tendency to hoard their money because their money is becoming more valuable with each passing day. That slows the economy down, causes more people to be laid off, which causes further deflation. If we have digital currencies, and that's all we have, you can't then people that. can't hoard their money. Okay. So let me address that point as well. Physical money, the paper stuff, amounts to about, well, it's less than half of 1% of the currency in circulation. Even the people hoarding the money amount to less than half of 1% of the money out there. So this is the, the, the major issue here is that the money is already digital. It's just not serial numbered. That's the, that is the point that I'm making is that physical money, and, and during the Great Depression, you know, everybody's heard the stories about people sticking it in their mattresses because they literally did. They put the money in their beds. They put it under their mattress. They put it in their floorboards. They were holding that money because it was becoming worth more every day. And because they were holding it rather than spending it, it, it was becoming worth more every day because everybody was holding it and there was less of it around. You can still hoard money even if it's not physical in your bank account by simply not spending it. And that's the, that is the other side of this, is that how, what box you put the money in, whether it's a cardboard box, a coffee can, or a bank account, it's a virtual box, but it's still a box. Hoarding money still causes deflation. Spending too much money still causes inflation. The rules haven't changed because we, because the number is stamped on the, currency and that's the thing is that it's a it's a complicated subject only if you make it complicated it's already digital the only thing missing from the digital currency to make it exactly equivalent to the paper currency is an individualized digital serial number to help track it from one bank to the next that is the only transition that the Federal Reserve is talking about doing, but because the word digital currency is mostly used around cryptocurrencies, there's huge amounts of confusion around this concept. If you just keep it simple, all they're doing is they're going to the banks and they're saying, banks, let us look at your books and give a little ID number to every one of your digital dollars. Once we do that, we can track all the digital dollars and now we have a digital currency, just like we do with the paper currency. That's all it is. It's just the Federal Reserve getting involved at each bank level to say this dollar 
is the exact same dollar that was over there. Right now, it's all mixed together. It doesn't matter. One dollar is the same as another in this giant virtual pool of your bank account, or sometimes less giant, sometimes overdrafted. But it's still a virtual pool of negative money at that point. You can't track each negative dollar right now, at least from one bank to another. Each bank has an ID that they use internal, which is why they can do a bank internal bank transfer same day. That's how you can move money from your savings account to your checking account. And it's just there because they've identified each dollar. Okay. So that's it. That's the end of my long-winded, very short answer. There's um, another aspect of digital currency that wasn't mentioned in the article I think is very important. And that is it pretty much does away with the underground economy. Digital currency means that all the, yeah, there's a cat behind you. (laughs) Yes. Digital currency does away with cash transactions, large-scale cash transactions. Matter of fact, to tell you what happens with large-scale cash transactions, um, I once had a Secret Service agent tell me, back when, they were, Service. back when they were the ones in charge of, of counterfeit stuff. Yeah. yeah. They were under the well, U.S. He, Treasury Service rather than Homeland Security he, at that point. But he, he told me, and this was as a law enforcement officer, that if you took any $100 bill and you tested it for cocaine, you would almost be certain to find cocaine on it. He said he never tested a $100 bill that didn't have a trace of cocaine on it because massive, and if you've seen Breaking Bad or something like that, that's how the transactions that, occur. That's not cocaine, though. It's not. No, that's, that's well, methamphetamine. Meth. Yeah. But the drugs, the drug, the, the hidden underground economy, not to mention, of course, the underground economy that goes on where people pay in cash, large amounts of money in cash, and it's never recorded for income tax is measured in trillions of dollars. And there was one report that came out that indicated that there's a that we would basically be able to come pretty close to balancing the budget in the United States if we could just capture the taxes on the underground economy. Yeah. The money that's not being paid taxes on, which would be good for us fiscally. It would be bad for the people who probably not particularly good for the people who want to shuffle cash around and not pay taxes. But I think it'd be good across the board. I think eventually we will go to a digital currency. It won't be that long even. Well, the problem with going to a digital currency is the banks no longer issue the money in effect. The money, you in, in, in trying to do it in such a way that it doesn't destroy the banking system. Right. And, and there's a lot of questions here. It's kind of like the difference. It's kind of like when we went off, went from specie, which is only accepting silver and gold coins, to accepting banknotes. Yeah. And it's going to happen at some point. It's going to be a major shift, and it needs to be managed very, very carefully. The last time we tried this, which was in the 1830s, we triggered a depression, and then we went off the gold standard in 71 and triggered massive runaway inflation. It's not something that needs to be done by presidential executive order like it was in 1971 by Richard Nixon. It needs to be done carefully, thoughtfully. And coordinated and needs a lot of simulations run, but we're going there. We're going to be, we're mostly digital now. For example, if you do a credit card transaction, it's a digital strip on the back of your credit card. The the specie circular was also an executive order done by Andrew Jackson in 1837. Created the depression of 1837. Yeah. So it's something we need to approach very carefully, and the Federal Reserve is experimenting with it. But I would say within 10 years, I would that's my guess, we will see us go to a digital currency. That's right. So the increased efficiency. They, they, I mean, the Federal Reserve says they're going to do it this year. Now, it could be next year, but it's, there's the, the actual transition 
to a digital currency isn't getting rid of the existing currency. And that's what's, this is the big thing that people, uh, from my perspective, the thing that's most confusing to people is that they think that somehow it's going to change what's already happening. Even, even what you just said, it sounds like you're thinking it's going to change the currency from one thing to another. It's, and this is as simple as I can make it. This is really all that's going on. It's like a digital stamp or a digital identification number that goes with each piece of the currency down to the penny. So each penny uh, is going to be digitally signed to say, this is me. I am unique. Right now, they're not unique, except at each bank. Each bank tracks each penny. I know, that's weird, huh? And they say this penny was in that account over there a few minutes ago, and now it's in this account. And they know which penny it is because they've stamped it digitally. You kind of have to when you're doing internal balance transfers. The only change is that that number is going to be ubiquitous across all banks. That penny's not going to change its name when it goes from USAA to Wells Fargo. It will still be George when it gets there, although it's going to have a more unique name than George. That is the I, only change that we're talking about. Abraham. Abraham might be it too, or Ben. Abraham. or Well, Abraham's on there. Oh yeah, Abraham is on, but he's, yeah, he's, he's a penny. So, but if you call them all Abraham, you're back to needing to have, you just call them Abraham one through however many pennies there are. There it is. That's it. Uh, and the only thing, and the, the piece of this that is weird, extra weird even, is that you're still going to have the metal penny that doesn't have its own name. So you may do a withdrawal from your bank for a penny. If you do that, you're a little weird. If you just want one penny, it's a little weird, but you could do it. You withdraw that penny from the bank and that digital version of the penny just died. It is no longer in existence. It is destroyed because it's now represented by a physical penny. And wherever you go, when you deposit that physical penny, they're going to give you a new, absolutely never been made before, digitally named penny. That's, that's all it is. And the Federal Reserve is going to be the one that tracks all the numbers for it, just like they do for the U.S. Treasury on the serial numbers on the existing dollars. You don't have serial numbers on pennies. You'll have them on digital pennies. That's, Maybe we'll do away with a penny. Well, I don't know. I mean, at the bank level, it doesn't really matter. It's like fractional shares. It, does, it doesn't the, fill up your pocket in the bank. So I, like I think we've killed this one. This podcast is called The Personal Wealth Coach, and that's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm based in Salado, Texas. Now, the fact that it's registered with the SEC doesn't mean that the SEC approves or disapproves of anything, neither, neither does the secretary, whoever the secretary is, and this tape will destruct after it's listened to. You the dated yourself. This tape will destruct. Your podcast tape is about to self-destruct. That's why you can't find the tape in it anymore. <laughs> It already has self-destructed because it's too old. And uh, the information that we do present in this podcast, we get from sources we think are very reliable, but we don't make any guarantees as to the completeness or the accuracy of that reliability or anything else. We just do the best we can. The information that we're providing during this podcast 
is not considered investment advice. This information is educational because investment advice means that we know exactly who's listening and we can custom tailor all of our advice to them. So prepare to be educated. Thank you very much for listening, if you have. If you haven't, then no thanks to you. Um, yeah. If you'd like to talk to us off the air, we have voicemail waking, waiting locally during the week at... 254-947-1111. Uh, real live people during the week, voicemail during the weekend, and that is also 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to the webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. You can email us through there, contact us through there, podcasts, newsletters, all that good stuff. Until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.